Well, good morning, Union Chapel. So good to be with you this morning. Yeah, thanks for being responsive. That, that's helpful. Uh, and all of you who are tuning in online, everybody in this room, you made it. Great job. So proud of you. You braved the cold. You got out in the snow. So proud of you. You did it. All right? You're capable. And we're praying for you, everybody who's watching and tuning in online, who just didn't think that they could get out. Look, it's possible. Anything is possible. Uh, well, we are continuing our series on life without lack, and again, I just want to reiterate that my prayer and my hope for you is that every morning when you wake up, that you might recite the 23rd Psalm, that you begin to pray it over your life, over your family, over whomever comes to mind. I know for me, it's been transformative for me, and when I find myself in di uh, difficult situations, I find myself reciting the 23rd Psalm, just praying it over my life and uh, over whomever comes to mind. Uh, just a few days ago, I was over at Best Buy, and it was just taking forever on Friday afternoon, and it was just taking forever, and I was getting so frustrated, and I finally get to the front of the line, and the woman working the cash register was just having a really hard time. Sorry if you're here. Uh, I'd love to pray with you and talk with you, but... <clears throat> just really struggling. And it was everything within me not to just jump over the counter and like help her run the cash register and, and run the computer. I was, just, I was just biting my tongue. And then I found myself, I was like, shoot, I'm about to preach over this in a couple of days. I should recite the 23rd Psalm just right now in this moment. And there was something that just came over me. It was just so much peace that I can actually live a life without lack a life that I don't need anything, that I want nothing, even my time back from this woman at Best Buy, you know? And so my encouragement for you is as we wander and journey, we're just taking a slow walk through Psalm 23. And my prayer is that it would be helpful for you, that it would transform your mind and your body and your spirit to be more attentive to what God is doing in all of our lives. And so it's our custom here at Union Chapel to stand as we honor the hearing and receiving of God's word. I want to invite you to do that as you are able. And in fact, throughout this sermon series, we're going to be reciting the 23rd Psalm each week out loud together. I'll be reading out of the NIV. The words will be up behind me on the screen as well. But let's read this out loud, starting in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it's interesting what we hear and what we receive in the first few verses of this psalm. And Pastor Glenn last week just set us up so beautifully talking about the author David and how David was fleeing. He was running for his life and he was able in the midst of all of that to sit down and think about this psalm, to write it down and to begin to meditate on it. David was writing to all of us even today that we can live and experience a life without lack if we're led by the shepherd. We get to choose to be led by him. But then David goes a step further and communicates something to us that might feel impossible for some of us in this room, but he communicates that we can actually experience a life without fear, 
because we're led by that same good shepherd. And so my first point for this morning is that God's nature is to lead us along the right path. It is who God is that he cannot help himself than to just trailblaze for us a path of righteousness. It says in, 20, in the 23rd Psalm, verse three, he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. He cannot help himself but to be good and to drive us to the right places because of his goodness. But I wanna communicate something very early on that just because we follow God, just because we get behind him and we're on the path and, and he's making our path straight, the straight path does not equate an easy path, a, a path without trials and tribulations. It doesn't mean that it won't be difficult. And I love the author who, who writes Hebrews 12 as they're writing this in verses one through three, it just simply says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us and let's run this race with perseverance marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. The author here is communicating that, that Jesus is paving a way for us. He's marked out a path just by simply walking along it. And he's inviting all of us, every person in this room and watching online, that we have an opportunity to jump on the path and just get behind God as he's, as he's paving it for us. So we fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And this is why I chose this section of scripture. Because Jesus, he was on the path. He was behind the Father. He lived a perfect life. He never did anything wrong. And yet he experienced death. I'm sure that none of us in this room will ever experience. But it simply says this, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so what do we do in the midst of all this? The author goes on to write, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We consider God. We follow behind this God. When I first went into ministry, I was able to run and help lead a leadership training program out in Estes Park, Colorado. And you might be frustrated with the snow today, but let me tell you, in Estes Park, it snows until late May. So just count your blessings, all right? Being here in Muncie, Indiana, you might be frustrated with the snow. But it was one of the most beautiful places that I ever had the opportunity to be. And for about five years, I spent 15 weeks every summer out in Estes Park. And it was so awesome. It was such a gift. Every morning, waking up, surrounded by beautiful vistas, surrounded by mountains. And when I was young, I had a lot of young friends that were also single, I was single, and so we just had opportunities on our days off when we weren't helping lead this program to hike mountains. And every, every week, we would pick a handful of mountains that we were gonna summit, that we were gonna conquer. And we would get all the preparations, we'd buy all the right gear, we'd get the best backpack and the best hiking shoes, and we would map out our trail as we began to conquer these mountains. And one week, we decided as we were meeting together, as we had the map rolled out of the Rocky Mountain National Park, that we were going to hike four mountains in one day. It was a very famous uh, hike in the, in the park. And so we decided to conquer these mountains, Flat Tops, Hallett's, Otis, and Taylor. F-H-O-T was the name of the hike. And as we were doing research, one of the guys on the trip who was a little bit more adventurous than me said, after we summit Taylor, instead of hiking all the way down the other three mountains, 
we can stop in the middle of Otis and Taylor, and we can go down this glacier, Anders Glacier, and we can just slide down. It'll save about two hours of our trip and think about how quickly we'll be able to go down, and we won't have to hike. You know, hiking down mountains are the worst part, and so let's just do this. And we took a vote, and it was seven to one. I was the one person that was like, we're not doing this. I don't feel comfortable doing this. And so we prepared for it as best as we could as being young and naive young men. And we packed a garbage bag in all of our backpacks so that our pants wouldn't get wet as we slid down the glacier. And one thing that you need to know about hiking culture is throughout the path, as you journey up the mountain, there are piles of rocks built up. And you learn that these are called Karens. Karens direct you on the right path. It's almost like they can't help themselves. That is who they are. That is what they're made for. And so people have hiked up these mountains before us, before me, and they have began to pile up these rocks so that you know, okay, if I don't know the right way to go, I'm going to follow these piles of rocks. And especially as you get above tree line, it's extremely helpful because the path doesn't become so clear. And so you have to keep your eye out for the Karens. And so we hike up Taylor and we're on our way down and we see the glacier. And now my heart is pounding. I'm becoming very anxious. I'm becoming very fearful. And I'm looking around and I'm like, guys, you know, the things that we've been following all day, the Karens, there are no Karens on the side of this glacier. This is a bad idea. We cannot get off the right path. And I remember one of the guys, he just threw in his garbage bag and he jumped down this glacier and he was just screaming, having so much fun, so jovial. And I was like, that guy is psychotic. You know, that's what I'm thinking. This is crazy. What are we doing? And then one after another, they began to do the same until I'm up there by myself on the side of this glacier thinking, okay, (laughs) I can hike down this mountain by myself or I can go down this glacier. And the whole time in my mind, I was thinking about the day before. One of our 200 students that was out there, he was on the same hike, going down the same glacier, and on his way down, there was a rock sticking up out of the glacier. He broke his leg. And the last that I heard that he was still stranded on the side of this mountain as they were trying to get a donkey up to get him off the mountain. And I'm thinking, that will be me. With my luck, that is going to be me. I'm going to get stranded for a day on the side of this mountain because we're just being dumb. We're getting off the path to just save a couple of minutes. And so I'm freaking out. And I remember I was like, well, I've got to follow the crowd. You know, I've got to follow these people. So I get into my garbage bag and I go down this glacier. And one thing that you need to know is we should have, in hindsight, you know, it's 2020, you know what you know after you know it, is that we should have poked our feet through the bottom of the trash bag. Because what happened was friction did not exist on the trash bag in the glacier. And so we were zooming down this glacier. And I was so freaked out. I was already anxious before I went down it that I rolled over. There was one point that I rolled over on my belly and dug my elbows into the glacier just to try to slow myself down. And nothing was helpful. I was just going out of control. And I remember at one point as I was going down the glacier, I screamed out to the Lord, God, take me now so it won't be painful. I mean, I was so overwhelmed with anxiety. And I share that story. You know, I made it. I'm alive. No injuries. You know, I did at the bottom. I I was jerking my hands into the glacier so often that when I lifted them up after we got to the bottom of the glacier, my hands were just completely covered in blood and they were black and blue. And I thought that I had frostbite. I passed out uh, on the side of this glacier. 
And uh, so you can tell that I was just induced with anxiety and fear. And I share this story with you this morning because that can be the way that we live our life if we decide to get off the right path, that these Karens that were directing us, we decided, hey, you know what? It might be a good idea just to go away from this good path and go down. And so that's often our life as we decide, okay, we get to decide what path we're going to follow. Are we going to get in line behind God and follow him? Or are we going to go and lean on our own understanding and go our own way? And when we go our own way, oftentimes it can work for a little while, but then you can feel just anxiety and fear rushing over you because you don't have somebody who's going to take care of you when you decide to go your own way that isn't paving your way, that isn't telling you the right way to go. And so just like us, I would just encourage you to just stay on the right path. And maybe you're sitting here in this room and you're just communicating to yourself, you're thinking to yourself, well, Christopher, I've gotten off the path way too many times. I've, I've strayed too far away. And let me just give you some helpful insight with what scripture says to us. In Proverbs 24, 16, Solomon, the, the most wise man to ever live, he wrote this. And I hope it's encouraging to you. For the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. And maybe you're here in this room this morning, you're like, seven times? Like, I can only mess up seven times before I'm, like, out of the graces of God? And the ancient readers, Solomon would have understood that the number seven could be translated as an infinite. So I fall down infinitely. I continue to fall down. I get off the path. But here's the hope. Here's the encouragement. Here's the challenge to all of us this morning is that when we fall down, when we stray away from the path to get back up, that's the person made right by God, that they fall an infinite amount of times. The man or woman made righteous before God falls an infinite amount of times, but yet they rise again. They get back up. Another proverb from Solomon, just in his wisdom, it's a very famous proverb, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It simply says, trust in the Lord. With all of your heart, in all of your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. And what Solomon is encouraging all of us in this room to do is that no matter what, in every situation, that we would just trust in the Lord, and we would submit everything over to him, our fear, our anxiety, our worry, to him, and he will make our path straight. And Solomon goes on to say, we don't even need to lean. We don't even need to be held up by any of our own understanding, any of our own might, any of our own will. We just submit to him, and he, again, because of his namesake, will make our path straight. In Romans eight twenty-eight, just another encouraging word for you this morning is that uh, Paul writes this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God's will is for good, not for evil. God is willing good things for you and your life, not for evil, not for, not for difficulty. You know, God really wants you to have a good life. And I remember I was, I was listening to a pastor share this story once of a funeral that he was doing for a young man who had passed away in a plane crash. It was so tragic. He left behind his wife and two very small children. And as he was finishing the funeral, everybody was walking up front to pay their respects and their condolences to the family at the closed casket as they were walking by it. And an elderly woman came up to the wife of the husband who just passed and said, you know, God 
needed your husband more than we did. Just gained another angel. There's a reason for everything. God's will, he has a good will in this. You know, we gotta trust him. Don't, don't not trust God. And the woman, this pastor communicated, the woman just collapsed on the ground and just began to weep, just overwhelmed by emotion. And maybe you've heard yourself communicate something similar to someone who's grieving, someone who's in pain, someone who's going through a difficult season of life. Maybe you've heard yourself. I know that I have been guilty of communicating something that I thought would be helpful that was very, very hurtful. And I remember the pastor communicating later on that week, the woman and him met in his office and she just was asking all these questions. You know, if this is God's will, why, what did my husband do that was wrong for, for us to suffer here, for my husband to die prematurely, or for his kids to not be able to grow up without, like, without a dad? You know, what's going on? What is, what is this? And I just remember, and I've, I've, I've just meditated on these words from this pastor, because I think that they're helpful for us as we think about walking through difficult trials and, and difficult ways of life. And The pastor just simply said, I don't know who crashes planes, but I don't think it's God. I don't think God crashes planes. Someone else does. And it was helpful for me as I think about that because God's will is for good. And we talked about this two weeks ago, that there's a thief. There's a reality in John 10, 10 that says the thief has come to kill, kill, steal, and destroy. He's come to take away the things that God wants to give to us. And, and we have the opportunity. Who are we going to follow? What way are we going to decide to get into the right path? And the second point this morning is this, that you will walk through troubles. It is inevitable. In Psalm 23, 4, David writes, even though I walk through the darkest valley, even though I walk through the darkest valley, and it's interesting that it is often a walk, not a sprint, that the Lord leads us through these dark valleys. And I think that he does this because pain is a very powerful teacher. It teaches us something in the middle of all of this pain and all this discomfort that God is wanting to reveal something to us. In John 16, Jesus communicates a promise to us, a timeless truth, that in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will experience pain and discomfort. That was true 2,000 years ago for his followers, and it's true today that we will experience trouble. And so what do we do? What do we do with this discomfort and the difficult things that we're walking through? I would encourage you to be honest as you walk through your troubles. I would encourage you to be honest about the pain, honest about your doubt. Honest about the conversations that you're having with your kids and your kids don't seem to understand what you're communicating and there's discontentment in your relationships. To be honest about all of that. In Mark 9, 23 through 25, a a young man brings his kid to Jesus and he's tried everything to try to heal his son. His son was demon-possessed and the demon was often throwing him into the water, into the fire to try to kill him. And this young man comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus... If you are able, if you are good, can you help me? Can you save my son? Can you heal my son? And Jesus just simply says back to him, if you are able, everything is possible for the one that believes. And the man finds himself just shouting this out, just without thinking about it, I imagine. And he says, Lord, I believe. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. 
There was this thought process in this man that he understood that he needed to believe, but he didn't think that he had enough belief. And so he was just honest with God about where he was at. God, I think that you've communicated in the past that I need faith the size of a mustard seed, and God, I'm really doubting that you're able to do this. God, I'm really doubting that you're able to come through in the ways that which you've communicated you would. God, I doubt you. And so just to be honest with that, and you know it's interesting, what Jesus did is that he saw this man, he saw the man's faith that Jesus could even help heal him in his disbelief that he healed his son. And so there's something that happens when we're honest about where we're at and how we're feeling and what we're doing that the Lord will just wash over us when we're honest. In this book that we've been using as a reference called Life Without Lack by Dallas Willard, Willard writes, there is very little time and occasion for openness in much of our gatherings because we fear it. We think that it may lead to confrontation, anger, or divisiveness. We are not open because we fear what others will think of us and do to us. If we honestly compare the amount of time in church thinking about what others think or might think with the amount of time spent thinking about what God is thinking, we would probably be shocked. And I agree with Dallas. I'm so guilty of this. At times I can walk into the worship center and I can be thinking about my shoes or, or if, if I'm okay or what other people are thinking about the way in which I'm worshiping. And I can just be consumed by this thought. I'm afraid of what other people might be thinking of me and not thinking about what God is thinking about. We're here in this room to worship the Lord, to speak Jesus over our lives and over our family and over our culture. And we just need to be honest about what we're doing and what we're thinking and what we're feeling. And so I wanted to just model this. I just wanted to share something that I wrote down in my journal back in 2018. I was going through a really difficult season. It was December 31st. I remember I was in my bed the most of the day just crying because a lot of people in my life had walked out of my life. A lot of things that I didn't have control of, I was just losing control over everything in my life. I felt like I was seemingly losing everything. And I remember often just questioning God. God, what are you doing? God, are you good? God, do you have a good plan on this? What did I do wrong to deserve the things that are happening? And I love that Pastor Glenn preached about this last week, but he, he just simply said, in the moments where we feel overwhelmed, some of the best things that we can do is just take a nap. And so I remember I fell asleep, it was probably four or five in the afternoon, in the evening, and I woke up and I just felt like the Lord gave me this, this word, this image, this picture. And so I picked up my journal and I began to write. And this is what I wrote. As I reflect on this past year, I keep coming back to an image, an image of a tree whose leaves are quickly falling while simultaneously being covered in snow. Finally, the leaves are completely removed, leaving the tree fully exposed in the cold, freshly fallen snow. Then I hear the crunch of the snow as I see a big, burly man coming with an ax. At first, I fear, so I close my eyes, knowing pain is inevitable. He's coming to cut me down. I know it. But then I feel the warmth of his hands, his reassuring touch, as he begins to break some of the dead branches. At first, it feels freeing. Then he moves to places I didn't know needed removed. I yell, stop, you don't know. He stops quickly, backs and smiles with gentleness and says, child, I know it's painful. Oh, I know your pain, but all I do is for your good. It's okay to be skeptical, but I am for you. He continues and so does the pain. So then I become numb. He stops. It's okay to cry. 
It's okay to feel. This is hard, oh so hard. For me too, he responds. When will it stop? Never, I will never stop loving you. Then I realize, or as best as I can, this pain helps free me in ways I didn't know I was enslaved. I don't fully comprehend, but I think it's okay as long as I have this man. At times, he explains the process. Other times, he prunes with no explanation. He continues to share his heart. You are my tree, a reflection of me. I gave up so much to have you as my tree. You are no longer your own. I can't do this on my own as a sobering truth I came to understand in that moment. I am a tree, God's tree nonetheless, and that's good enough for me. And I share that with you because there was something so freeing in that moment, and I come back to that often when I'm experiencing pain, is that God is a good shepherd. God is wanting to lead you into good places. God is the great vine dresser that we read about in John 15, that he is pruning you and snipping you back in ways that you are comfortable in. And he's saying, hey, I have something better for you. I have something better for you. Which leads me to my third point, that a life without fear is possible. Fear and worry are sweeping the world. In fact, one in five adults have been diagnosed with some type of anxiety disorder. And I wanna be really sensitive to this. I wanna be careful with this as I communicate. But as I've just been wrestling with the Lord, God, do I really say this? That it is actually possible for us to live a life without fear when there are so many things that we can be afraid of. And as I've wrestled, the Lord has just affirmed this message that we can live a life without fear, that we can get to a place where we fear nothing because God is with us. The psalmist writes, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And Dallas in his book, Life Without Lack, he goes on to say, my intention is to help you realize that fear and worry are worthless, indeed vain emotions. If you are frightened or afraid, there is no use feeling guilty about it. What you need to do is fix your mind upon God and ask him to fill your mind with himself. And as your mind is transformed, your whole personality will be transformed, including your body and your feelings. And the transformation of the self away from a life of fear and insufficiency, this, this idea of a life without lack, takes place as we fix our mind upon God as he truly is. I love that the Lord gave this word to David, that the Lord is our shepherd. Because this imagery David was familiar with, as we learned about last week, as he himself was a shepherd. But shepherds would carry two things in their hand, a, a staff, which we're familiar with, it is a, a long stick with a hook on the end of it. And the staff would be there to make sure that the, the, the sheep were walking on the right path. When they strayed off the path or when they were in danger, or when they were even getting into water and they were sweeped, swept away by the water, the, the shepherd would be able to reach in and grab the sheep and pull them back to safety. But there's also another reality of the shepherd, the picture that we see, is that there, the shepherd was holding a rod in the other hand. And the rod was there to protect us from the thief, the enemy who was coming to steal and kill and destroy. Later on in that scripture, Jesus says, but I have come to give you life and life to the full. Abundant life is possible when we follow in the steps of Jesus. In Mark 4, 35 through 41, Jesus was teaching all day to a group of people. The, the crowd had, had just become masses of people. 
And he was getting tired, and so he decided to go to the other side, to another town. And so he instructed his disciples to, to climb into the boat and begin to go to the other side. He said, let's go to the other side. And on the journey, Jesus, tired from teaching all day, went to the stern of the boat and fell down on a, a pillow and fell asleep. And while he was sleeping, the disciples were rowing to the other side, just like Jesus had communicated, and a storm breaks out. And the disciples became very afraid of what was going to happen to them. And I love that Mark just intensifies the moment here, and he says, they were in grave danger. <laughs> they were overwhelmed by what could happen to them. And so they do what any of us would do, any right person in their mind would do, they go and they run to Jesus and they wake him up. And the first words out of their mouth are, don't you care? Don't you care about us? Look around, we're going to die and you're sleeping. What are you doing? Why are you just here in the stern of the boat doing nothing? Don't you care? And it's interesting that Jesus, what he does, he doesn't immediately respond to the disciples. But he gets up. He rebuked the wind and the waves, and he says, quiet, be still. Then the wind and the waves did exactly what Jesus asked him to do. And he, then he turns to his disciples, and he says, why are you so afraid? Don't you know who I am? Do you not have faith? And they were terrified, and they asked each other, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? We serve a mighty God who has created everything that we see, everything around us. God is in control. And so when fear becomes so overwhelming, I would encourage you to run to Jesus, to not try to figure it out, not try to have all the answers. But the first thing that we do is we run to Jesus and we ask him, God, I need you. God, will you help me? And the secret of overcoming fear is companionship with God. My fourth and final point is this, is a life without fear is only possible if we fix our eyes on Jesus. In Matthew 14, through 33, this is just a little bit of time after Jesus had calmed the waves and the storm. And at this point, he was teaching to a large crowd and he had had enough, I suppose. And he told his disciples, hey guys, you go ahead and you get in the boat you go to the other side, to another town that we'll be doing work in, and I'll dismiss the crowds. I'll make sure that everybody leaves safely. And so when he did that, he went up on the side of this mountain and he began to pray. And I'm sure some hours went by and it was dark. It was night, the text says. And he looks out onto the lake where his disciples were rowing to the other side and the winds and the waves were buffeting the boat back. And so they hadn't made it out very far. They're just rowing and they can't make it very far. They're trying with all their might. And so Jesus and his graciousness and his goodness says, I, I gotta go help these guys out. And so he begins to walk toward them, literally on the water. You can read about this in Matthew 14, 22 through 33. He begins to walk toward them on the water. And I'm sure, as you can imagine, if you were to see that as you're trying to fight the wind and the waves, you see this figure walking on water, which is impossible, by the way, walking on water toward them, they begin to freak out. They said, oh my gosh, this is a ghost. This is a ghost. And they try to rebuke it. They try to rebuke this ghost away. And Jesus says, no, it's me. 
And Peter, who we give a really hard time to, he just pipes up. And I love Peter. I love his courage and his boldness. And he steps in it a lot. He gets in a lot of trouble because of his mouth. But without even thinking, he just says, Lord, if it's you, call me out of the boat. If it's really you, Jesus, you have authority over all this. I've seen it. You call me out of the boat and I'll come to you. So Jesus just opens up his hand and says, come here. And so Peter steps down out of the boat. And he began to walk on the water, coming toward Jesus. And in verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, crying out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And then they climbed into the boat. The wind died down. And then those who were in the boat began to worship him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Peter, fixing his eyes on Jesus, was doing something that he never dreamt of. He didn't wake up that morning thinking, you know, I bet I could walk on water. No, he did something miraculous because Jesus had asked him to do it. And my prayer as I've been praying for this message, as I've been praying for you, as I've been praying for me, is that God is inviting all of us to do something that would be miraculous without him. And then he's asking us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Don't don't worry about the circumstances or the situation or the winds or the wave or the storm. Fix your gaze on me. Spend time with me. Hear my voice. Get to know my voice. Understand who I am and what I'm doing. So I wanted to end with these two questions. What fear or fears do you need to surrender to Jesus? Things that you just need control of. Because you think that if you have control over these fears, then your life will be so much better. Maybe it's some conflict within your marriage, and you're like, I just, I just need to control this, and I can't give this over to the Lord. Or maybe it's the promotion at work, and you're just afraid of wh- what your next paycheck will be, and, and Jesus is just saying, will you fix your eyes on me? Maybe it's a child who has gone rogue and has gone away and you raised them up the right way and you thought that you gave them all the things that they needed and they're away and you don't know what to do and you're just trying to control the situation. You're trying to get the desired outcome and Jesus is saying, trust me, will you fix your eyes on me? And my next question is this, when are you tempted to look at the storm and look away from Jesus? When in your life are you tempted to just get your gaze off of Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, and lean on your own understanding? So maybe there are people in this room who don't have a relationship with Jesus, that don't know what it means to get on right behind him on the path and follow alongside him as he's blazing the trail for us. Gosh, there are so many people in this room, so many people out in our courtyard, myself included, that would love just to have a conversation with you. But what would it look like for you to make God the Lord of your life, to make him the king, for him to be the person who speaks into your life more than anybody else, more than anything else, that he would be the one driving our boat. And my encouragement is for you this week to just have a deeper awareness of God's working in your life. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you and we praise you for who you are. God, you are good. You are so good to us and you want good things for us. And so Jesus, I just pray that this week that there might be people in this room that have no idea what it means to follow you. God, I pray that they would find somebody, that they would just have a conversation with someone. What does it mean to make God the king of my life? 
Lord, I pray that throughout this day that we would become more mindful of you. Throughout this week that we would just be meditating and reciting and praying the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. There's nothing in my life that I need because I'm being led by Jesus. God, I pray that this would become even more true for us as we begin to journey with you. We love you and we praise you. And it's your name we pray. Amen.